Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Hey everyone, you are now listening to part two of this special podcast that includes a recording from the Q&A portion of a recent EFC book club that we hosted. And I'm saying recent because, um, well, it's the first one, but we are going to do more in the fall, so stay tuned for that. So this is a conversation around Beth Severson's new book, Not Done Yet, Reaching and Keeping Unchurched Emerging Adults. We had a panel as part of that book club, and that's the conversation you're going to hear. Rick Heemstra is there, Director of Research for the EFC. Beth Severson of North Park University was our sort of star guest. She's the author of the book. She is answering questions. And Sid Koop, a youth ministry expert in Canada, is also on the panel. So enjoy this talk. Okay, uh, welcome back, everyone. We hope that you got to know somebody new and that you came away with ideas on how to implement the five invitational practices. In this last block of time together, Sid Coop from Truth Matters Ministries is going to join Dr. Severson and I for a question and answer panel. So for those of you who don't know him, Sid is the Executive Director of Truth Matters Ministries and the Youth Worker Community. He's currently working on a doctorate in Next Generation Ministries and has spent over 20 years in full-time youth work. He has been involved in two national research initiatives on teens, faith, and transitioning into adulthood, first as a contributor to the Hemorrhaging Faith Research and second as the chair of the Renegotiating Faith Project. Welcome to the panel, Sid, and I'll ask that Dr. Severson join us as well. Just to get us started, Sid, what really stuck out for you from Beth's book? What are you leaving with? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's lots of different things, Rick, but I think the involved piece was the one that was most um, kind of challenging and also exciting for me. Like, I just felt like that's a little bit of an unexplored area, which has lots of potential and also, you know, uh, lots of challenges, I think, at least in my mind. And, and, and there was a couple of challenges that that I, that I was wrestling with. And Rick, we talked about it just a little bit, you know, we know the, the value from all the research that, and lots of us in this conversation here have been involved in different research experiences, but the, the, the role that um, modeling faith has in terms of passing faith onto the next generation. And that's always been the reason why we've been so careful to put people in positions of, you know, ownership and responsibility in, in these spaces. And so, you know, when I read it, it resonated, I, I, and, but I had to wrestle through that tension a little bit. And I wonder if Rick and, and Beth, I think that you'd probably speak to this, you know, first of all, of course, we're wise, what types of roles we put people in. We know that there's a difference between adherence to say a statement of faith and a code of conduct. Those of us who have worked in camp, we understand those, those two realities that we live in as well. But I wonder if you know, what we're actually modeling when we allow people to contribute from their place in their journey, authentically and honestly, if that's actually the, the more powerful modeling than, and I'm not belittling, you know, our, our, our faith journey or the morals that we live by or those sorts of things. I don't want to belittle that, but I, there might be something greater that we're modeling to, um, to the next generation and, you know, you know, culture at large. And I think especially when I think about functioning in a cynical culture, um, moving more towards invitation as opposed to confrontation uh, is, I think is really important in removing some of those faith barriers. So, uh, you know, Beth, I, I loved it. I'm wrestling with it. I, I think we're, I, I think we're foolish to think that there's, 
no risk, that there's a position without risk. I don't think there's such a thing. And, you know, because of the times, I think we need to take some risks in some of these areas. And again, there's, you know, we're not stupid, but there's nothing that God, you know, can't redeem and restore and, and, and carry us through. So I was really fascinated by that piece and excited about it, to be honest with you, and, and, um, and has been talking about a little bit. So love that. Yes, thank you, Sid. I think it is the most challenging, I would say both exciting and challenging part of the research. Um, as I mentioned, I had seen it in a parachurch. Um, so when I started to hear it again, I was like, wait, you know, I'm moving all my codes all over the wall saying, wait, wait, is this what I'm hearing? I'm going back and re-listening. And, and um, you know, as I tease out the research, it wasn't all nice and neat and tied up in a bow. It was like, yeah. this is messy. And yeah. You know, church may not, not every church can handle this. I'm not saying every church should handle it. But when I look at other, like, let's say, um, oh, practical theologies, or I think about the theology of youth ministry. uh, And and some of the other theologies that I'm reading that are dealt with practical ministry, you know, like that adoption model, you know, we really are seeing... uh, we include non-Christian kids in the community, right? They come into our pickup basketball, our arts night, our camping trip, our retreat. Bring a friend of the retreat. There's going to be co-communicating, right, going on. Um, so there's involvement piece. Uh, is there service piece? Well, then I started looking into a lot of the short-term literature, and I'm seeing, oh, a lot of churches are bringing non-Christians along on short-term pr- trips, especially youth and young adults. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember what you call IFIS, IFIS. What do you call InterVarsity? And, um, IPCF for InterVarsity. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, oh, they're doing, they are now doing urban plunges over spring breaks. And they're inviting everyone to come serve in the urban core, whether you're committed to Christ or not. You know, so I'm just seeing this elsewhere that there is a sense of inclusion, early inclusion, that is not just community-based. In the research, Dr. White says, you know, it's uh, young adults connect to a cause and they come to faith in Christ. That's not truly what I saw. You know, most of these churches were involved in some kind of social justice. Um, They do want to make the world a more just place. They are committed to racial righteousness. They weren't all in settings that had uh, diverse ethnic settings, but there was some kind of commitment to that. So those young adults definitely were drawn, and I write about that, to that kind of church. Only one of them was practicing, though, in that. Like, they weren't joining a cause. Almost every ministry they were involved in was happening on site within the church to church people. Uh, So, you know, and that's why I have to be really careful with the research. Like, I was like, oh, that's so interesting what he's writing. And I'm like, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> you know, he must be in his research, but I'm not seeing that at all. It's not the cause. They don't even talk about it. Um, and yet I think there's something there, but that's, I'm seeing more. It's the being able to give. Does it make a difference? Um, do I feel like I have a place that I can contribute? Um, and that fits my identity exploration. I want to give. I'll have a question and go for. Uh, so something I noticed uh, while reading, uh, I think the book uh, was that there was hardly really any mention of like a dedicated uh, programmed like young adult ministry 
uh, in in a church. So uh, I guess my question is like, do we do you guys think that maybe that type of programs are still effective? Uh, and maybe if they are, uh, how would you uh, how would you recommend a church maybe approach starting something like that? Well, again, U.S. context. So please, please know, know that I know this may not work there. I didn't see much young adult programming. I saw a little. I even saw mega churches shut down their young adult programming because they were laser focused on outreach, missional outreach. Um, I did see that young adults needed to find one another. I gave an example of that in one of the groups, you know, where one of the pastors just says after church, hey, you know, every three months, everybody under 29 or something, come down and connect 22 to 29, just find each other, text each other. Um, I saw that young adults really enjoyed um, mentors. The mentor could be closer in age, didn't have to be older. It was more life stage of life and how long they'd been in Christ that was helping me. One girl was in a, a maybe a church of 250, 300. And she said, may I start, she wasn't a Christian yet. May I start a small group for girls my age? So an older woman, mom said, yeah, I'll do it with you. Let's do it together. And you know who they, they got eight friends of hers to come, but then they could put it up in a bulletin and say, anybody else want to join us or online, right? So it, it, it really wasn't like everybody had these great programs. There were a few churches that had great programs, but most of them did not have them. You know, Beth, it's interesting in our, in our work with youth ministries, one of the things that we've seen and, and that I've personally experienced is that the most vibrant young adults ministry is often um, people who are volunteering in the youth ministry. So they're actively contributing. They have older people who are coaching them in their roles or helping mentor them in their roles. And then there's also options for people who are farther along in their faith and maybe not as far along, you know, so in terms of program or spiritual leadership. And it's, it's fascinating to me as I've been reflecting back on that, how that seems to sit with what you're talking about. So they're in community together, they're on point serving, there's various entry points and they have mentoring. That's a part of what they're doing. And, and we've just, we finally had to come to the point in our last church where we said, well, this is actually our most vibrant young adults ministry that we have, to be honest with you. So let's just acknowledge that. And there's some intergenerational uh, play at work as well when we're within it. So it, it, again, that's interesting to me to hear that and, and kind of apply that into that context. I think, you know, each young adult, they're so different. So yeah. there's a rather large church in Colorado that I was working with. And one of the young adults said, yeah, I've been coming for about a year and I've become a Christian. And our church just doesn't do enough. Like they want to put money in the building. Why aren't they offering like volleyball games for us? And he goes, I want to meet my wife here. I want to find all my friends here. So then I, inter I interviewed him again two years later before the book came out. I just want to kind of connect with all these young adults again. Just let them know what I heard them say. You know, I just want to make sure it's. I'm not saying something, I don't identify any of them, but I just want to make sure they're, but they, they said what I thought they did. And he's like, oh yeah. He goes, I'm not so hard on the church anymore. He goes, I found a group to connect with and I like people of all ages and, you know, but so there was that longing he had when he first connected, because I think among younger generational people getting together once a week usually isn't enough. At least I find that they want to get together once, twice, three times. We can't do all that for them, but we can kind of help provide some of the structure for it. So even in, if we do do young adult ministry, one of the things I would say is it's, it should be really about the empowering of the young adults to pull it off and giving them enough 
I like to call it scaffolding, but support to get it started if, if that's what they want. And if they can't continue it to allow them permission to let it go. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I've seen that need to happen too. It's just too much to sustain. You know, you, you can program, program, program. It may not feel that much to an adult, but even a weekly program for a young adult to be responsible for, it can be too much. So helping them and who's going to do what and how much program do you really need? And, you know, what is it you really want? What, would you come to this? Or were your friends just helping them think through a little bit? So I've, I've, and I've seen Sid, the youth model work. One of the young adults in this study, it was the youth model. He got invited to help with the youth. That community came around him. He was not a believer. Within 11 months, his pastor, Todd Rodermel, had him lead the citywide prayer movement. <laughs> he doesn't talk like any of us Christians, really. I mean, he's centered in Jesus, but he's not, he's not using the language we're using. But he can pray like crazy, and they're seeing lives transformed. So hmm. it's very interesting. It's, it's very interesting you say that uh, you give them permission to let something go. And I think that there's probably fear of disappointing people of churches saying, well, you know, we put all this energy into this and why aren't you uh, continuing with it? I just, how do you, how do you create a culture that is so that is more hands-off or more willing to deal with being disappointed and to be okay with that? You know, we're so focused on metrics and, sh- and demonstrating our success that when a program closes down it feels like a failure right and so one thing i would say is you know many of us have been part of really vibrant church plants right well they hit 20 they hit middle age and not everything's working the same or we were the only church of that presence whether it was anglican orthodox evangelical right we were the only ones that had something going and now there's church plants popping up everywhere. Some of our people went and started this multi-site or that. I mean, so much is happening in our society, you know, as well as a kind of a stepping back and a more marginalization of church, right? You've been there for a while and things just don't, aren't meant to go forever and ever. Mission, on the mission field, we're not calling people to be life missionaries anymore. Or we might even call them ministers. We don't even call them missionaries anymore. In my, in my denomination, they're global ministry partners. They're not going over there to missionize. They're on God's mission. <laughs> mission being from everywhere to everywhere. And they're coming alongside to learn and partner if God leads that way. So I think we have to give permission to let things go. And even even fail at stuff. I know people hate that word, but, but try something and it didn't work out, right? You thought you heard from God. You thought this was what he was doing. You thought you were collaborating with the Holy Spirit and joining him in his work. And it seemed to, and then it didn't. I see people need that freedom because then what, what will that young adult do again? If they're mentored through that, I mean, we all need to be mentored through failure. Seriously. Mm-hmm. We are not Christ. And so it's not always going to work. And then I'm going to be willing to pastor or I'm going to be willing to be that to try again. But if I've been shamed and feel like it's all my fault that it's not going. I, I think that's just so profound that we need to be mentored through failure and, and not be shamed for it. That's so powerful. Anybody else that we haven't heard from yet that have this question either for Sid or for Beth? I'd love to hear it. I realize it might be different in the U S and Canadian context, but as we, 
as we look eventually towards reentry from the pandemic, you know, is, is there an opportunity here for a seismic shift with young adults that we can make now that maybe would have been very difficult to make at any time over the last number of years? You know, is, is this a chance to hit reset on something with, um, with young adults? And, and if so, you know, is there, is there anything in particular that the three of you would encourage local churches to, uh, to step into? First, I would say this would be a great time to do a poll. I'm like a telephone surveys to find out what young adults say they would do. Now we'll see if they follow up with what they say they will do. But just for example, so I teach intro to the Bible at a Christian university, but more than more than half at least of the students are not believers. So uh, I'm a, it's a Hispanic serving institution. So we're 30% um, probably Catholic and lapsed Catholic. Uh, who don't attend and maybe their parents never attended. I, you know, have Muslims wrapped in class with scarves. It's just fabulous. And they're all learning intro to the Bible. I mean, it's like the best place in the whole world you could be ever. And so, um, you know, I've got a a young man who grew up in a Christian home and he's decided he's an atheist and he's in my John class because they also have to take a second Bible course. And, um, but he writes to me, I, I used a, if you have anybody's interested, I used Jamie, Smith's book on habits, you are what you love. Mm-hmm. And then and then what I had them do is a smart goal for each chapter. Just instead of writing, I said, I'm writing a smart goal, just pick one goal. And he said, I just need community right now. If anybody asked, anybody asked me to be in anything, I'm dying here. It's like a junior. Now, okay, that's an anecdotal story. But I do think it's a posture of some. I've been cocooned for so long. Please invite me to do something. Not everybody, but to hear that voice also. Now I'm going to be quiet, but let the experts, the Canadian experts respond. I think certainly um, people are suffering under COVID and the isolation. I have greater sympathy for people who are in jail now. (laughs) Not that we've been in jail, but the isolation of not being able to go out or to to be with people. I just wonder if our churches are going to be ready to be that or whether we're all just so busy that they will just keep, keep on going being busy. Yeah. You you know, Rick, I, I, I've been kind of, I don't have a, you know, Carl, I don't have a really great way forward right now either. Like we're all kind of wrestling with it. What is this in front of us? And my sense is, I could be wrong. So in one, in one moment, I'm like, people aren't going to come back into the physical buildings that we've, you know, called church. And in some of our stats, some of the polls tell us like what 40% aren't coming back. That kind of idea, I think is some of the numbers that I've heard. And yet at the same time, there's such a longing for community that perhaps they will come back just so that we can be in space together again. And then the, on the flip side, I'm wondering if fear has been so embedded in us that that will create a problem for many when it comes to gathering. I feel like the landscape has changed. And so for me, what we're saying to youth workers as well is I think we need to reset ourselves. We probably, we should have reset ourselves a long time ago that instead of primarily thinking about inviting people to us, that we start really seeing ourselves as missionaries to go. We're not defending territory anymore. We never had territory to defend. So we should quit thinking that way and look at this as a brand new mission field. 
Uh, maybe we look at it as church planters that are engaging in new and wonderful ways. And, and I hope our optimism comes from that kind of missional space. And, and then for me, for us, what that means then again is really taking time to reevaluate what are the things that we value most or what are the most prominent kingdom values that we need to lean to. Um, and we can take a look at the values that are aligning and the research we're seeing with people in general and then you know, commit to new strategic plans. Like how do we move forward with that and, and just uh, be cautious. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll be cautious to simply trying to re-implement what we once knew. So we're working, you know, we're working with a, with a church and we're just speaking about church context right now, primarily not even parachurch, although I think the principles apply, but we're saying, Oh, our, our students in the church that we're in right now have so for so long been passive observers. We've committed to a high, um, high, uh, to a really significant show on the stage that people watch. And we're saying we have this opportunity to shift that, that the stage actually facilitates ministry together. And so the first time back, let's think through how we can really intentionally, you know, recreate a kind of space that, um, that helps facilitate that looking inward towards each other, the opportunity to experience the spirit at work through each other. How can we really, you know, we just have a chance to build something new here and not new for the sake of new, but I hope that it's, I hope we're really thoughtful. I hope that we're, you know, we're strategic and, and I hope, like, I hope we're hopeful. Like I hope we're seeing this as a, as a new frontier, a new mission field, a new way forward. And we've learned so much in it. And a uh, man, the opportunity is really significant because there are deep longings that people have right now that, that they know they need filled. And I just think we have a chance to really step into that. So that's the posture I'm hoping we'll take. We're just finishing up a set of 30 interviews with small church pastors. And most of them are telling us that they're in their online services, that they're actually connecting with more with on average, they're telling us double the people that they would have uh, in an in-person service. So and you ask them where these people come from. Well, it's people who it's relatives of people in their church or someone across town who would never have come into the church, but are kind of curious now that it's online. And so the appetite is there. The question is, you know, how do we translate that into real connections once people are allowed to yeah. gather in person again, and we're we're not as far down the road as you are in the states, Beth. We're we're still locked down, um, and generally speaking, depends on the jurisdiction. But we're really not allowed to gather, or if if we do are allowed to gather, it's like ten people or fifteen people. But yeah. certainly, there's appetite. I agree with both of you, and you know we have pockets of people that are out, and then a lot of pockets of people that are. I was with people last week for the first time. You could just tell, do we wear a mask? Do we not wear it? And we were under 10 people, right? It was kind of like, what do we do here in California? But uh, one thing I wanted to mention, like living with these young adults, the kind of community that I'm in right now, here's what they've been doing. All through the hard winter, we had a ton of snow in Chicago. They have had bonfires out in our backyard and other people's. Um, They... uh, at our place, they went together and bought a movie screen and invite people to come over and sit outside and watch the movie and then talk afterwards and everybody has something hot to drink. Um, they're going to play dodgeball, right? Or 
pickleball. I mean, they, they're, the craving is so deep, they'll go freeze uh, with their windows down, having a cup of coffee, pulling their cars up next to each other because they can't be together, but they, they need to be together. So I think what I'm trying to say is bringing the young adults, emerging adults into the story, into the question, into the problem solving. Yes, they're on the outside looking in. And I, I know we need to say, like, how do we make the step now to connect to church, right? They're there. And it's going to open up. So what will those steps be? But maybe involving them, whether it's questionnaires, having time like this, um, with just not overwhelming them with just a few of their friends. Hey, we'd love to get together, pick your brains. What are you guys thinking it would look like, even if you only have a few of them, but starting with whom you have and what will work for them? Because they're figuring it out, many of them. I mean, they're hurting, but they're trying to find ways to survive. We are coming to the end of our time. And as we come to the end of the time, I'm just going to ask Sid for Sid, and then we're going to give the last word to Beth. But what are what kind of closing remarks or thoughts about the book that we've talked about tonight, Sid? Yeah, I just, I mean, just for me, it just, it gives me a ton of hope, you know, and and I think for me, hope is found in a, in a way forward, a next step. So, so much of the research, I think, that we've seen over the last number of years about decline in church and, and decline in so many areas. I, 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 this was to me just refreshing, life-giving, and I'm excited about, man, there's, there's so many things that we can do to continue to, um, you, you know, it grow in, in reaching the next generation. So I, I feel very hopeful coming out of this book and lots of things that we can lean into. So very thankful for it. And Beth, uh, as you, uh, Make your closing remarks. I know, maybe you could also talk about some of the other ways that you work with churches. Oh, sure. I think one of the comments I would want to end with is that young adults are open, open, open. They like their parents, research tells us, and they like adults. They yeah. may be in self-selected affinity groups, but it doesn't mean they want to be there or that's all they want. And instead of taking a step back from them, I just would encourage all of us to lean in. I ask them, include them, involve them in that initiate, you know, we're all kind of afraid, but encourage our congregants to be smiling, warm, have a question or two for a young adult and for leaders to really include them, whether a Christian or not, and finding out, is there any way we can serve you? You know, what is it you need? And we may find out it's not even on our radar. We would have never thought about that, but sure, we could do that for them. So um, just be encouraged, I would hope, by their openness um, in wanting to connect to older adults. Okay, I would just love to make myself available to you. Any, you know, any, if you're reading, you'd like to read the book with your parachurch, your church staff, a small group, um, I'm, and you would like to invite me for half hour, an hour, maybe after this, you don't want to invite me at all. But if you would like to, I, I would just would love to be available to you. Just, it's at no cost, just happy to connect. I always learn something when I'm with others. So it just truly benefits me as I, hopefully it benefits you, but you know, I'm just saying I'm available. I'd love to do it. Well, that is the end of our evening. Thank you to our panelists, to Sid, and especially to Beth for joining us this evening. I uh, really enjoyed the book and enjoyed uh, having an opportunity to discuss it. Uh, we'll let you know about our next book and meeting in the EFC update and through our social media channels very soon. Thank you, everyone, for coming, and uh, good night. Thanks so much, Rick. Thank everyone. You so good to be with you. Thank you Thanks for having everybody. me.
Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.